0: I am happy to claim today's amazing guest as a former student, but of course, I can't take credit for her success. She's done the hard work, but listen closely today because she is going to share with you the powerful practice that you are probably overlooking. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Tamika Love has 19 years of experience in both education and community based programs. Tamika's career path is the road less traveled but it has certainly prepared her for her role as an instructional leader. She is a graduate of Clemson University's EDS program and is entering year seven as an administrator and instructional leader working in South Carolina's Lexington One School District. She and her husband are both in the education field and have been married for 19 years. Tamika has a 15-year-old daughter who is currently a student at the College Center in Lexington One. Tamika believes in creating learning environments where all stakeholders feel a sense of belonging and are equipped with the proper resources to meet the needs of the whole child. Tamika, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be able to see you after so many years of graduating from Clemson University. So it is my pleasure to be a part of your show today.
0: It has been a long time, and the years go by too quickly. We were just talking before the show, I think eight years it's been, and it was so fun. I'm on a subscription newsletter that I get from the state of South Carolina, and I opened it up, and there was Assistant Principal of the Year, Tamika Love. So I'm so happy and so great to see you, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Tamika, what are you celebrating today? Besides I that am, big assistant principal to your <laughs> award for South Carolina.
1: I am celebrating winter break. Our last day was officially December 15th. So I am celebrating the opportunity to relax, to reflect and gear up for 2024.
0: Okay. I just have to ask you, what is recharging look like for you?
1: For me, it's spending time with my family. I have a 15 year old daughter who is in a sophomore at the college center here in Lexington one. So she and I are having some mommy daughter time and then also spending time with my husband. He too works in education, but um, he has the same time off to relax and reflect as well. So we just spending that time with family. And then for the holidays, we're going to go and visit my parents. So that's relaxation for me.
0: All right. That sounds like a good thing to be doing. Is there a story that would help listeners, give them insight into why you're doing the work that you're doing?
1: Absolutely. I will start with my elementary school experience. My um, first experience and love of learning uh, was sparked with my fourth grade teacher. Her name is Leela Caldwell, and she still serves in some capacity as one of my mentors She was the teacher where you entered her learning environment and she made you feel like you were the only person in that classroom. And she created that sense of belonging. And with her um, leadership and support along my journey, although my path changed and I consider it as the road less travel in education because I don't have the traditional path um, as most do. And um, but I really believe that we are where we are supposed to be at the appointed time. And so with me, just to give you a little bit about my journey, I started my career with the Department of Juvenile Justice. I was a community specialist at the age of 22, and I spent about a year and a half with the Department of Juvenile Justice and also working part time as a mortgage loan specialist and realized after having countless conversations with the children that I serve, their families, and even having partnerships with a lot of our local schools that our students sometimes lost hope within the early years, K through eight. And so I wanted to make an impact not in the community sector, but to go back into the school sector. So I revisited my path and returned um, to the school setting first as a school-based mental health counselor. And then doors began to open as I transitioned to school counselor. And then for 10 years, I worked alongside um, a principal, Marcy Enlow, who was also, um, a Clemson graduate alumni, mm-hmm. and she did some work alongside you as well, but she was the instructional leader who really pushed me outside of my comfort area as a school counselor and required that I worked alongside teachers to have that classroom experience. And so as I reflect on that journey where I am today, those moments really prepared me and were very impactful in my path, which I consider as the road less traveled.
0: I love that diversity of experience and it can always present some challenges when you're switching areas and things like that. But I also think when we can bring experiences from other other venues, other jobs and bring that to bear, it just helps us be able to take so many different perspectives.
1: Absolutely. I use it daily on my job. Sometimes, you know, it it comes secondhand for me, but I really realized that it was important for me to be on that journey, to have that background knowledge as a school-based mental health counselor, school counselor, and now as an instructional leader, because it really makes a difference in how I lead teams, how I build capacity in adult learners. I really am very intentional in my conversations, when I'm coaching teachers, when I'm supporting them. And even when I have to have hard conversations, I leverage on a lot of those tools that are in my tool belt that have evolved over time to help me to become an effective instructional leader.
0: Can we dig into that a little bit more? Yes.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: So, so we can think about the things you didn't learn in principal school, despite having a wonderful teacher, but, <laughs> but you, you developed some skills in the mental health area and, and probably a couple of the other things you did as well. So what are some of the skills that you've brought from those other areas that have been particularly helpful as an assistant principal?
1: I think one of the most important skills is active listening. I think oftentimes we listen to respond, but not listen to understand. And whether we're working with adults, children, even their families, we have to understand that we all have a set of experiences that we bring into the learning environment. And before we can really push and teach the academic piece, we have to peel back those layers to determine um, what our students need what the adults, learners that we're supporting um, instructionally, what they actually need before we can really do that hard work.
0: And I think that goes right back to what you opened with, with your mentor. And can you say her name again?
1: Marcy Enloe.
0: Mar For Marcy, but. Um, did and you, Lila in, in Caldwell. Your, your, yeah, Ms. Caldwell. So, and you talked about her having that presence. And, and she it sounds did. like, yeah, you're bringing that right back in.
1: Absolutely. And so it's important also just to note, and when I talk with my teachers, that sometimes we don't realize the impact that we're making with our children. They listen and they're paying attention to everything that we say and how we treat them and how we make them feel. And it has a long lasting impact because here I am. 30 years later, and I can reflect on the impact that this one individual teacher in fourth grade made. And I use a lot of the things that she taught me as a student, as an adult, in leading teams and working with others and making them feel that sense of belonging in our learning environments.
0: I I just want to hear more. Tell us more.
1: So I'll give you just several of my experiences. I'll speak to first year Tamika as an assistant principal because year seven as assistant principal of the year, having a lot of experiences has really shaped who I am as an instructional leader. So first year assistant principal Tamika, I went to um, Orangeburg and I was working with kindergarten through eighth grade. I was the only assistant principal in my building And it was the principal as well. And so I really had to identify ways to leverage on the expertise in my building because I was one person with a huge task of becoming an instructional leader. And so there were a a lot of learning curves along the way. But the one thing that was very helpful in, in me sustaining and really being able to make a difference was the listening to understand and also engaging in learning walks. I know um, one of my favorite resources is Street Data. That's um, a book that I've used a lot when you're learning about the environment that you're working in. It's great to listen to multiple perspectives, getting the perspectives of the students that you're serving, the teachers, as well as the community members to help inform decisions when you're shifting towards change.
0: So I know there are a lot of assistant principals out there that come into the school and they're thinking, yes, I'm going to be an instructional leader. And after about three weeks, they're just buried with all of the, the fires and the emergencies, and they're living in that urgent leadership zone. And a lot of people really have a tough time climbing out. You talked about leveraging other people's strengths. You talked about listening. How... How did that listening and, and going back and explain to listeners, right? That means active listening. So despite all the chaos and all the craziness and you had too much to do, you were able to really hang on to that skill and leverage that skill of active listening. What did you learn by listening that allowed you then to turn around and leverage people's strengths so that you could be that instructional leader?
1: I learned um, just areas of strengths within, our. for example, like our instructional leadership team, there were different experiences that were brought into the learning environment that I didn't have as the assistant principal. And so it was important for me to build capacity in our instructional coach to help support the work that she needed because we had to recreate our ELA Curriculum, And that was not an easy task for one person to lead. So I had to leverage on her skills, as well as our school counselors, even our teacher leaders. So just listening to who was a part of our school learning environment, who was in the room with me, that could actually help me move the work forward. So that was very um, impactful. And as I continue to reflect along their journey, I realized that that's one of the most important things in addition to building a trusting relationships, because in order for you to do important work, you have to have the trust and you have to build relationships with the individuals in your building, as well as your community stakeholders.
0: So at this point, you've probably had a number of different people come on and off teams that you've worked on instructionally. Mm-hmm. When you have a new member come into your ILT, you've replaced instructional coach or maybe a new assistant principal, what are you thinking when you bring that, when that you welcome that person on board? What's your thought and your approach to helping them join that team?
1: I think one of the important things is to understand um, our differences as a team, and how our differences make the team successful. I have a an athletic background, so I really um, believe in making sure that we're we're taking all of those moving parts putting them together to make the team successful. I like to use the compass point activity where you have your different leadership styles, north, south, east, and west. That's one of the most impactful activities that I always do when we're leading new teams. And even if we have new members that are being added to our team, we use that activity to understand how our differences Make us better as a team, and how we can collaborate with one another, and how we have to understand that we all have a difference of opinions in a different way that we may lead. But when we mesh all of those differences together, we have this successful team that can really move important work within our school learning environments.
0: Yeah, I think you make a great point about that too. With the leadership style work, we tend to do those because it helps us understand how we work and how, where our strengths are. But one of the really great benefits is we start to understand not only the styles of other people, but the needs Mm -hmm. so that we know there's that the direction that is going to need more detail. And I may not be that detail person. I don't worry about it. But when I know I've got people on my team that are in that compass point, then I know, okay, I have to slow down. I have to be better about making sure that we have those details and I have to lean on those people to get help because that's what they're good at. Absolutely. So going back to your first year, first couple of years of being an assistant principal, is there anything that you can look back at now and you kind of chuckle and shake your head and say, oh, Tamika, what were you thinking?
1: (laughs) I... um. I think it was my first year in Lexington One, yes. And so, if you're thinking about most of my experiences, were in smaller learning environments. So in Saluda, we had about 300 students, three through five. Orangebird, even though it was K through eight, we had about 400 students max. And so now I'm transitioning to Lexington One, where we had about 867 students, 100 on staff. So you're looking at about a thousand. People, whether it's adult or children that you're impacting. And um, I came in with all of these great ideas, which were amazing. And I was a part of a, a leadership team. There were two assistant principals at the time. And I was really used to being the only assistant principal. And so when I came into an environment where we were resource heavy in Lexington One, I had to learn how to be okay with having access to a ton of resources. I was still using spreadsheets that I used to crunch data and make, you know, informed decisions because I didn't have what we have in Lexington One, which is a district database. So I had to learn how to be okay with having more resources and not having to do a lot of the extra work. I had a lot of people that were able to do multiple things. So I look back now and I, I laugh about it um, because I just that was just my experience, and I always remember that when we have new people on board in our district and they're coming from other places, I have to always remind everyone that hey, they're coming with different skill sets. Some are coming from smaller districts that didn't have a lot of access and resources, so we have to understand how they lead and their background, you know, experiences. That's who shape. That's what shapes us who we ha- who we are as individuals. So. It was just a learning curve for me, something that most people may not experience or may not think about. But that was something that I had to really think through and had to really scale back and realize that I didn't have to be the one person, a one-man band doing all of the work. I had a a huge orchestra that was there to help and support me.
0: So what was the hardest part of that? Learning to use the different software and systems that were available or having the trust to release some of the control?
1: I think having the tr- trust to release some of the control, because, you know, when you're in a situation where you're the only person and you're having to make all of the decisions, and then now you're going to a space where you have other people in multiple roles that will make decisions for you. I had to let it, you know, do a gradual release. It was hard for me, but I once I released it, it made my load a lot lighter. And so I was able to really be able to go home and disconnect from the work. You know, there are moments where I could do certain things, but I was more in control of the work. When you're coming from a smaller district, sometimes you're having to take a lot of the work home because you don't have a lot of extra hands to um, tackle some of those hard tasks.
0: So that's, you went through the early period and then you made that adjustment. What's another point on your assistant principal journey that you see as being a, a, a big pivot a, or a big leap forward for you
1: i think the work life balance was a huge um, pivot point for me again you know when you're in a smaller s- district sometimes you have to again carry a lot of the load and it often spills over into the home environment so Having an opportunity to really understand the importance of separating work and home and really engaging in self care. Um, Having a background in school counseling, I always talk to others about self care, but oftentimes we don't practice what we preach. So I had to learn to practice what I was preaching to everyone else and live it myself in order to really make more of an impact on the adults that I was serving. So that was. Huge for me, but I'm thankful that I actually had all of those experiences because now entering in year seven, I am more reflective. I have boundaries that I have set, and I think that is important. I talk to my teachers about that a lot. But I'm, you continuously learn and grow each year. You become better. You never will be a hundred percent of who you want to be as an instructional leader. But each moment in the journey, you're going to learn. You're going to take away things. You're going to add things to your toolbox, and you just continuously seek opportunities to learn and grow, so that you can pour into others.
0: Can you talk to us more about those boundaries and how you've, what you do to set those boundaries, and and any other practices? I think especially that that transition piece.
1: Absolutely, um, my calendar is something that I live by daily. I calendar and I prioritize because as an assistant principal, we all know that what we have on our schedule may not always you know, evolve throughout the day, but there are certain things that you have to hold true to in order to be effective in the role. So using a calendar to make sure I am prioritizing my day. Also um, having a cutoff period, um, I, my day ends at four o'clock, but oftentimes I may come home and say, okay, I'm going to devote 30 minutes or 45 minutes to something that I may not have had an opportunity to finish, but I make sure I have a time constraint. I don't allow myself to continuously work long hours after the work day ends because you never have an opportunity to self-reflect and replenish for the next day. So th- if you don't, have these practices in place, it will lead to burnout eventually.
0: Okay. So I want to point out several things that to me just jump out as being awesome. The first that people that listen to me regularly, I hope what they heard you say with the calendar is you're not managing your time. You're managing your priorities. Absolutely. Right. And it is, there is a big difference and I love that you're using that calendar and then building your schedule around that. Also the idea of taking that, finding that quiet time to get something done, but to have that time limit is a really powerful practice. And you're doing several things there. One is you're finding that uninterrupted time. So you're not multitasking, so you can be way more productive. But then I love the idea of the time limit, I think it does two things. One, it, it helps you stay pretty focused. I know when I set my timer for X amount of time to get something done, I'm, I'm zeroed in. And then like you say, it forces you to have that hard stop so that you can back up. The other thing, you've said this a couple of times, you've talked about reflection. So, so tell the audience more about the role of reflection in your professional journey.
1: I have a journal that I use, and um, I learned this from being a school counselor and even working in the community service agency. It helps you to release a lot of the conversations that may be heavy and a lot of the things that we tend to carry home. I just use a, a journal and reflect on my day. I reflect on my conversations with adults the children that I serve, as well as their families. Because what's important to me is to make sure I leave each individual better than where I found them. And whether it's a tough conversation or not, I always leave with something positive that they can take away with them. Because for me, as a student, as an adult learner, I would like the same thing in return. So I try to, again, practice what I preach and make sure that I put that in practice.
0: And so what rituals do you have or habits for specifically for transitioning back into home after the job's over?
1: Okay, so our day ends at 2.20 with, well, we have students um, dismissal at 2.20 and about 2.45, most of our students are picked up. So from three until four o'clock, if we don't have meetings, I have an hour to self-reflect. So I use that time to reflect on my day and that gives me closure before I leave and go home. My first 12 years of my career, I commuted. So I had 45 minutes every day to reflect in the car. Most times I didn't listen to music, which I love music, but I would just ride in silence and really give my opportunity, give myself an opportunity to disconnect from work And then transition into home life, because that too is another job, but we have to make sure that we're separating the two. But now that I am about seven or eight minutes from home, I use that last hour to reflect, wrap up my day, look at my calendar to make sure there are not any loose ends. And then if I need to take something home, I set a boundary of about 45 minutes and I have that protected time to make sure that I clean up any loose ends before the next day.
0: I'm pausing because I just think it's, it's such powerful practice. And I talk to a lot of assistant principals and everybody has great intentions, but there are very few people that I've talked to that really have, have built in the habits that you have about that self-reflection. And, and it's just, it's so important.
1: It is. And I, I model it for the teachers. When we have coaching cycles, that's something that I am big on. It doesn't have to be a journal. It can be a Post-it note. But I talk to teachers about making sure that they're reflecting on their day. Even if we're transitioning from class to class, take a moment. And you don't have to all... all the time You don't have to write it down often. You can actually self-reflect and just think through some of the things that went well and things that you want to work on for that next class or that next moment before you transition. So sometimes I'm self-reflecting as I walk through the building. Um, it's just an internal thing that I've tried to make as a part of my practice to make sure that I am refueling myself and that I'm able to pour into others as well.
0: And you've talked a couple times in about how what you do with yourself, you bring that to your teachers. And I know it. this is a tough year for people. I keep hearing that in schools. It's a hard year for teachers. How do you bring your own positive practices and your ability to, to take care of and renew yourself? How do you then take that to your teachers?
1: I'll give an example. We have learning walks and we're consistently in classrooms. And one of the things that I've found to be very impactful when we go in and do announced observations or unannounced observations, I'll send an email or I'll leave a post-it note. And it's all is positive things because oftentimes, you know, teachers hear a lot of what's not going well. They need to hear what's going well, because when you pour into teachers and you build their capacity, then they're more open to getting feedback and ways that they can grow. So I leave them what I call a grow and a glow, but I I have more glows than grows. So I'll say things like, when I came into your classroom, I noticed Frederick was actively engaged in a learning environment. Here are some things that I thought went well. And then I just start reflecting on what I noticed in um, as far as their instructional practices And when I tell you it's so impactful, it's a a positive post-it note or I'll send an email to the teachers. They just want to know that you notice what they're doing, that you care about what they're doing and that you're taking time out of your schedule to sit in their classroom and not oftentimes being judgmental, but to find ways to help support the work that they're doing. Because teaching is tough. It's it's really hard now. And we have to find ways to build capacity and show teachers that we truly appreciate the work that they're doing. And so therefore, if I have to have a tough conversation or I have to give feedback in areas of growth, they're more receptive to it.
0: Yeah, Tamika, I think we We get hung up sometimes on the idea that to help teachers, we need to be pointing out where they need to grow as opposed to taking that different mindset of helping teachers is making sure we're letting them know what they're doing great and what's going well. That is helping teachers and asking the questions that get teachers to reflect on their own practice. That's the best form of coaching, right? Because you can tell me something and I can think, okay, yeah, I'll look at that. But when you're asking me questions to reflect on my own practice and I come to it, that's much more powerful.
1: Absolutely. When coaching teachers, I spend less time talking and allow them to talk and self-reflect. And that's very impactful because they don't want to, you know, they want to hear from me um, in terms of areas of growth, but if you allow them to talk about what went well and what areas you think you would like to grow in, then that helps you become a better coach and a better cheerleader and champion for the teachers that you're serving.
0: Yeah, and we, we underestimate how valuable teachers find it to be able to share their practice and talk about their practice. And again, if we can leave that that piece behind of I don't have to tell you something you have to get better at I can just listen to you and create that mm-hmm. space for you to talk about your own practice I think we make assumptions that teachers get to do that but in the busy days they don't and and probably in PL, even in the PLCs as if we're working as a team we're not unpacking our practice with each other. And we're certainly not saying, oh, I did a really good job. (laughs) You know, I had this kid and I asked him this question and I knew it was the perfect question. We're not going to say that to our peers, but if I can have that conversation with you and I know you want me to open up and talk about what's going well, that's a unique opportunity.
1: Absolutely. And even with professional learning, one of the things that we started this year is called Voice and Choice Professional Learning with our teachers. And uh, we started the year, of course, we have a school-based work plan that really guides our work throughout the year. And then we identify at least two goals, an academic goal and a goal to build capacity with our students. But um, with that being said, of course, we have our traditional data dives. But at the beginning of the year, we surveyed our teachers and we had four or five areas that we were looking at in terms of professional learning, and allowed them to identify which area they felt they needed the most support. And so that was the foundation of our professional learning this year. And it was very impactful, because teachers felt like they were getting the professional learning that they needed. And then after the first quarter, we again gathered additional feedback to determine our next steps in professional learning. So what we found to be impactful is that we're allowing, allowing teachers to take charge and personalize their learning just as we personalize the learning for our students. So adult learning is the same as the learning that we provide for students. We have to get give feedback and we have to receive feedback in order to better support them as learners. So it's been very impactful and it's allowed me to grow as an instructional leader, to realize that we don't always have to make the decisions for adults. We allow them to have charge and have a say in what they need. And they're more open to the professional learning because it's it's after school. And oftentimes we're all tired and we're all exhausted, but when we feel like we're gonna get something that we can take away and apply in our classroom learning environment, we're more open to that conversation and to that professional
0: learning. And what are we telling teachers? I'm so excited. <laughs> this is so awesome. <laughs> what are we telling teachers when we do that, right? I trust you. Mm-hmm. You're a professional. I trust you to know where you want to grow. And I trust you to be thoughtful when you make suggestions, when you're telling us where you want to grow. I trust you. And I am your partner. I am your collaborator. Collaborator. I am your support in helping you get to where you want to go. It is so powerful. It is. And you've you said this is your first year doing that or your second year doing that?
1: Well, on last year, we started at um, midpoint of the school year. But once I transitioned to Red Bank, I, we started at the beginning of the year. Okay. And um, it has made all the difference in our professional learning. And so even when we ended. The break before Christmas break, we um, did another survey um, with our and it's with our grade level leaders because we're building capacity in the grade level leaders to lead the work in their teams. So it's really very. um, It's just a great experience to really see the work evolve, because, you know, sometimes as instructional leaders, we think we have to lead everything but you don't. You leverage on the expertise in your building. And what I always like to reference is as many hands make light work. So the more people you have on board, the lighter your load becomes as a leader.
0: In making that transition, how has that impacted you as an instructional leadership team? And how, how did the way you guys operate have to change when you started letting teachers lead that?
1: Well, we as a leadership team, we started having conversations um, at the beginning of the year. We did a learning walk and it was just um, just to gather low inference data, talk about you know things that we felt we needed to make sure that were a part of our practice. What what you know mirrored our vision and mission for the school year and how we wanted to make sure that everyone was on board, um, even though the school that I'm currently in, which is interesting, it was the school that my daughter attended K-5. So I was there as a parent and now as an instructional leader. So I knew firsthand about the great things that were taking place. So um, just having a conversation with the leadership team about the importance of building capacity. I think oftentimes um, when we have great level leaders, we just allow them to disseminate information, but we don't actually build their capacity to lead because, you know, I think it's important that everyone has the capacity to lead, whether you're in a part of our custodial staff, you're a cafeteria workers, your instructional assistants, we're all leaders of children. And so it's important to make sure that we're building capacity and building that confidence in everyone in our building so that we can move the work forward.
0: Well, that's so powerful. Tamika, I know we have a lot of people listening that are first, second year assistant principals, we people that are getting ready to try to start their first year next year. If you could give maybe two or three pieces of advice to help those new APs accelerate their journey Mm -hmm. so that we can interview them on the show in a couple of years to be assistant principal of the year, what, what would be those couple of things?
1: I think I like to call it my three C's, which are very important to me. The first is communication. You have to make sure that you're effectively communicating and articulating what the vision and mission for your school is, your expectations, um, whether it's verbal communication, written communication. You can never communicate too too much information. Sometimes it's important to over-communicate because we all have different learning styles and ways that we receive information. So communication, of course, is number one. Collaboration and building those relationships. The relationship piece will take you far in your career because when people trust you and trust the work that you're doing, you have more of a collaborative learning environment and people are more open to be a part of change. And then the last thing is consistency. You have to be consistent. Even when you have resilience, you have to stay consistent and really make sure that you're staying on the path that you have prepared for those that you're charged with the task of leading. So communication, collaboration, and that stems you know, with the relationship piece as well and being consistent in your work.
0: Thank you so much. Okay. As we start to wrap this up, I want to ask what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at?
1: Um, I think the capacity building. I don't think I've, I will ever get to a place where I am a hundred percent comfortable with building capacity in adult learners. That's just something that I am continuously um, I'm have mentors and I'm always seeking feedback and ways to grow as an instructional leader because you know, We have new teachers, new experiences, new people that, you know, come into our learning environment, whether um, they're first-year teachers, veteran teachers, or, you know, mid-career teachers. We always have um, things that we can learn as professionals. So one thing I um, have very, you know, is important to me is making sure that I'm engaging in ongoing professional learning and that I have coaching cycles and mentorships to make sure that I am putting my best foot forward when I work with adults.
0: Tamika, there's so much rich, powerful stuff that you've shared with us today. What's the final word that you would like listeners to go out on?
1: The final word is to always choose joy in the journey. It's, um, not always going to be perfect. Um, there are going to be heels, there are going to be potholes and different things along the course. But if you always find joy in the work and self-reflect daily on your practices and making sure that you're leading with intention and you're leading with your heart, then you will have longevity in the career as an instructional leader, assistant principal, or even a teacher. Um, But joy is my one word that I live by daily, and that has sustained me for year 19 in my career.
0: That's beautiful. And I know there are some people out there thinking, oh, I'm in the grind, how it's so hard, it's so hard. But it seems to me the key to that is making conscious choices about how we show up as ourselves for other people. Absolutely. And even when the world is, when your world is falling apart, you have that interaction and you choose how you show up for that person. And I know I find consistently that I may be down, but when I force myself to show up as my best self for people, then I feel the joy, right? (laughs) Because it is that relationship
1: absolutely and so that's i choose joy in in every step of the journey i choose joy because we're charged with the task of servant leadership and so in those moments where things get tough, you have your lifelines, and so I do, you know, want to note that as well. As assistant principals, it's always great to make sure you have a lifeline, you have mentors, you have other assistant principals that you lean on in those moments where you begin to second guess, you know, whether or not this is the path that you should continue to travel. But um, just making sure you're reaching out and continuously learning and growing, it will sustain you. I'm a true testament to that. It's 19 years, and I can I can say that I am consistently excited each day that I get up and show up for the adults, the students, the parents, and the community members that I have an opportunity to work alongside.
0: Tamika, thank you so much for coming in and sharing, not just all your learning and your wisdom, but for bringing yourself to us and sharing today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was such a great opportunity.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That was great. There are so many highlights in today's show. I really would like to just... Take this one and chop it up into many five minute segments so that we could expand on so many of the ideas and the things that Tamika shared. But I just want to emphasize six main points to you as we wrap this show up. The first thing that Tamika led with was be present. That's where the answers are. So double down on that effort to be present. Second, you manage your priorities, not your time. Third, You need to create boundaries to recharge. You need to take care of yourself so you're in this for the long haul. And I know we talk about that, but I think we also give it lip service, but take it from the principle of the year as she's modeled that for us, that she creates these boundaries and has positive habits that help her transition from work back to home. Fourth, build in time to reflect. I loved how Tamika talked about writing in silence in the car because it is in that silence, it is in that quiet that some of those answers and those issues get resolved. Another really cool thing that they're doing in Tamika's building is they've built a system, a system that allows teachers opportunities to have agency over their growth. And then finally, we'll close with what Tamika closed with: choose joy no matter how stressful and challenging things are, every time that you are with somebody, you have a choice for how you show up. You don't have to be fake. You don't have to pretend to be happy when you're not, but you can choose to bring your best self into every interaction. You can choose to bring joy to the person you're with. And what I've consistently found is even when I'm not feeling it inside, when I bring my best self to others, not only am I bringing joy to them, but inevitably I feel more joyful myself. So choose joy. All right. That's it for this show. Leadership is a journey. And thank you for choosing to walk some of this magical path with me. You can find links and all sorts of stuff in the show notes, including my website, Frederickbusky.com. I love hearing from you, so consider emailing me at frederick at FrederickBusky.com or connecting with me on LinkedIn. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Have a great rest of the week. Be present for others. And more importantly, take time to reflect and recover so you can continue to live and lead better. Cheers.